Hey, good morning. We're glad you're here with us. Would you stand with me? This morning we're going to look at John uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. So I'd like to read those together. If you have your Bible, you can take that out and find that chapter or if you have it on your phone. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going, to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Excuse me, one second. Um, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do, not, uh, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Father, we thank you for this morning and this word, this truth from John 14, and I pray that you have prepared our hearts and our minds to hear the fullness of your truth that what we take away is all that you would have us to know and anything else just falls by the wayside in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. I want you to take a minute and watch this helpful little video. I think it will uh, give us some, some tools that we can use in life. Have you ever made your wife mad? Let me rephrase that. Are you married? Every husband knows that feeling. Your wife is mad at you again, and now you've got some hard work to do to fix it. The hard part is knowing what you need to do to smooth things over. But be careful. Making additional mistakes can make things worse than before. Thankfully, the Babylon Bee is here to save the day with a list of surefire things you can do that will virtually guarantee your wife will stop being mad at you. One, calmly explain to her that her reasons for being mad are totally irrational. She'll see the error of her ways and appreciate your masculine leadership. Two, compliment her teeth and neck, like in Song of Solomon. What woman isn't a sucker for lines that compare her teeth to a flock of sheep and her neck to a tower? Hmm, twin fawns. Three, ask her what you did to make her mad. She'll be thrilled you didn't know and will gladly inform you in clear and concise language. Four, crack a joke to lighten the mood. A good wisecrack is exactly what she needs right now. Fine, stop breathing that way. You know, that way. Stop it. And stop chewing your cereal like that too. Gross! Six, tell her she's acting just like her mother. She'll love it. And if that doesn't work, tell her she's acting like your mother. She'll love that even more. Seven, what she really wants is, is, uh, is a, uh, uh, an, a tenant partner? I don't know. Uh, I wasn't really listening. Hey, chocolate. It fixes everything. And uh, there you have it. If you follow the list above, your wife will stop being mad at you in no time. So here's my question. If you have tried any of those tactics, how did that work for you? Yeah, I'm guessing by the laughter, probably not well. So here's a truth about all relationships, including marriage. The quickest way 
to get smacked in the head is to tell someone who's emotionally ramped up to calm down. Give it a try sometime. Because when your spouse, when your friends, your parents, your kids, or your coworkers are highly emotional, just say these two words, calm down. And the more agitated the person is, the more logical you should sound. So try it like this. Have you considered the possibility that you're being overly emotional and that perhaps you should just calm down? Look, for the record, I'm being satirical. <laughs> I'm not encouraging anyone to do that. I see some of you guys are like, oh, that, that's, let me write that down. Calm down. That's a good one. I'll try that when I get home. Yeah, so don't do that. And if you do do that, understand I am not responsible for the frying pan that may come up beside your head this afternoon. But listen, at some point in our lives, we've all probably said to someone who is in a highly emotional state, calm down. We've done it. We've all done it. And we've probably done it thinking we're trying to be rational and logical and to diffuse a situation. Well, in our text this morning, that's exactly what Jesus does. The dialogue between Jesus and the apostles in John 14 takes place the night he's going to be arrested. He's just celebrated the Passover for the last time with his apostles. He told them that one of them is going to betray him. He told them that Peter would deny him three times, and he's washed their feet. Think about the emotional chaos that must have been in that room for them. Not just for the apostles. Think about the emotional chaos that was swirling around in there. If there was ever a calm down moment for the apostles, that was it. A moment where they needed to be told, calm down. That's exactly what Jesus says in John 14, 1. When he says, let not your hearts be troubled. That's just a loving and kind way to say, calm down. You need to calm down. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, why does he get to say it without getting whacked in the head? And I don't. Well, here's why. It's because of John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, at the end of John 13, the apostles, the apostles are in what Pastor John Piper calls unholy turmoil. They're in this state where they're ramped up because of the circumstances they're in. And I think the better question is, why should their hearts not be troubled? It seems like that's a reasonable response given the circumstances. But I also think that question, why should our hearts not be troubled, is a reasonable question for us, given the present circumstances of our world and our lives, the things that we face every day. And the answer Jesus gives them as to why their hearts should not be troubled is true for us too. When our hearts are in unholy turmoil from fear and shame and brokenness and relational strife and addiction and hurt and chaos... It's a valid question. Why should my heart not be troubled? And the answer I want us to find is this. Because I have a dwelling place in Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so the main point of our text is actually in the book in verses of John 14.1 and verse 11. John 14.1 says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then in verse 11, he says this, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works I do. 
Belief is the antidote to unholy turmoil. So the first part of our answer to the question, why should my heart not be troubled, is belief. It's faith. When your heart is in unholy turmoil, what do you believe in? Do you believe in your mind, your wisdom? Do you believe in your talents? Do you believe in your money? Do you believe in your understanding? Do you believe in your people? Or do you believe in the way, the truth, and the life? Belief is trusting Jesus for who he is. That is what belief is. And in times of unholy turmoil, belief means this, that when I see no way through this chaos, he, the person of Jesus, is the way through. When I can't tell the lies from the truth in this world, he, the person of Jesus, is the truth. When I have no idea how I'm gonna continue to live with this unholy turmoil that's in my life and in my heart, he, the person of Jesus, is my life. And so why should my heart not be troubled? Because I believe and trust in the person of Jesus. That's why Jesus could say to the apostles, calm down and have it go in the right direction instead of it going in the wrong direction when we say calm down. Because as the way, the truth, and the life, he actually is the path out of unholy turmoil. I am not the path out of unholy turmoil. So that when the people in my life are experiencing this state and this circumstance of unholy turmoil, for me to come in and say calm down seems to justify the frying pan to the side of the head. Because I can't offer that. But he can. Now look at verse two in John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? This reality should strengthen our belief in Jesus in times of unholy turmoil. And the reality is this, God's house is large. When your heart is troubled, know and believe that you have a place in the house of God. And not just as a tenant, but as a child. Listen to this in John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. A child has free access to the father's house. When your heart is in unholy turmoil, Jesus as the way and the truth and the life gives you access to the father. And he gives you access as a child, an heir, whose permanent home is in him. So when your heart is troubled, you can go there. You can go there through belief and you can find your place in him. When our hearts are in unholy turmoil, this is really great news. If you stop and think about it, there's a place I can go. But it gets even better. Listen to this in verse three. And if I go to pre- and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Your place in the Father's house is personally prepared just for you. It's your place, not my place. 
And my place is not your place. And it's prepared by the one who knows you fully and completely. When I find myself in unholy turmoil, maybe some of you will resonate with this, but when I find myself hammered and overwhelmed by the chaos swirling in me and around me, I usually just want to go home. I want to go to my place of comfort, the place that suits me personally and holds my people so long as they don't tell me to calm down when I get there. Think about how settled you feel when your heart is in unholy turmoil and the day ends and you finally get to walk into your space, your home or your room, the place that is set up just for you. That is exactly what Jesus is preparing for all of us. And when our hearts are in unholy turmoil, we can actually enter into it. We enter into it by belief in Jesus as a child of God. And that is good news that we can lean on and live into in this world of unholy turmoil. So why should my heart not be troubled? Because Jesus himself has prepared a place specifically for me in our Father's spacious house. Now look at verses four through six. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can you say we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What's happening in these verses is Jesus is shifting the apostles' narrative in a critical way. I don't want you to miss this. So Thomas says, you, uh, you know, or Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas's response, remember Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, unless I see the wounds and put my hand in his side, I'm not gonna believe. Well, well that's the same mentality that he has here. But listen to this, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? See, Thomas has an expectation here that Jesus is beginning to unravel. And if you remember from last week, what are expectations? Premeditated resentments. So listen, here's the expectation that's getting unraveled. Thomas's expectation is that Jesus is actually going to a place. He's going somewhere. So he says what we would all say if I came to you and said, hey, meet me where I'm going. Well, tell me where you're going. Well, no, I won't but meet me there. Well, then tell me how to get there. You should know how to get there because you know where I'm going. So Thomas, Thomas is standing here in this confusion asking the same question we would ask. How am I supposed to know how to get there if you haven't told me where you're going? And then Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. See, here's the thing. Thomas wants to know where to go and how to get there. And Jesus not only says, I am the way to where I'm going, but by saying I am the truth and the life, Jesus is also saying I am the place. He makes it clear that the place is in him. The place he's inviting Thomas to go to is in him. That is a big shift in narrative for the apostles. Because here's what Jesus did in that moment. He moved salvation from a place that you will go to one day to a person to dwell in himself. 
That was a huge shift for these guys. They weren't expecting that. But then the shift becomes even more seismic in verse 7. Listen to this. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Catch this. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Seen who? The father. Jesus and the father are one. So to dwell in Jesus is to dwell in the Father, which means that the place he goes to prepare is a place in the Father. Now think about this from the perspective of a first century Jewish person. In the middle of the unholy turmoil that these guys are experiencing that night, Jesus gives them a practical revelation of God as Trinity, one God in three persons, by saying from now on, You do know him and have seen him. Why from now on? From now on, because Jesus has revealed the Father, the first person of the Trinity, in the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Then he goes down in verse 16 and 17, he reveals the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit. Listen to verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's the Holy Spirit who will dwell with us and in us. He's promised here and later given on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. So why should my heart not be troubled? Because the triune God has prepared a place for me. He's given me the way to that place in Jesus, and he has sent me a helper to guide me into the place that he's prepared for me. And that place is in God himself, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. So hopefully we can see that by saying that I am the way and the truth and the life, that Jesus revealed himself as not only the way to the place in God, but also as the place itself. And then in verse 7, he tells us that to see him is to see the Father. In verses 16 and 17, he tells us God the Spirit will dwell with us and in us. Jesus the way leads into God the Trinity. God the Son is in us, and we are in Him. God the Spirit is dwelling in us and with us in the spacious and specially prepared house of the Father where we will dwell. So Jesus the way leads us into God where Jesus is preparing a place for us. It's so easy for us to lose sight of our place in God prepared by Jesus through his sacrifice. And it's easy to do that because human nature, when we're in unholy turmoil, tends to think that we need to get to a place that's safe and comfortable. If I just get somewhere else, I won't be in this unholy turmoil. And then we tell ourselves to calm down to just go to a different place. And when we get there, we think we'll find peace from the unholy turmoil that's in our lives. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work because the place we need to get to is no place at all but a person. 
the person of Jesus. And I believe we get stuck in this because our narrative of God and of heaven is incomplete. I didn't say it's wrong, I just think it's incomplete. Listen to this quote from John Piper. The essence of heaven is the immediate presence of Jesus. The essence of heaven is the immediate presence of Jesus. Now some might say, wait, the cross is the essence of heaven. No, the cross is the substance of heaven. Access to heaven is made by the cross. But the essence of heaven is the very presence of Christ. Think of it this way. Say you have a candle, decorative candles. Anybody have like scented candles all over the place like at our house? We have many of them, which is great at Christmas time because when you don't know what to get, you just buy her another candle. Um, but listen, the essence of a candle is the wick and the wax. Or excuse me, the substance of the candle is the wick and the wax. That's what the candle is made of. It's made of wax and a wick that I can light. And the wax will keep the wick from burning too quickly. But the essence of the candle is the light and the scent. Think of it this way. The substance of the candle is what makes it a candle. The substance of heaven is the cross. Gives us access to heaven. Means that heaven is now relevant to us because by the cross we can actually get there. Prior to the cross, heaven was kind of irrelevant to us because there was no way. But now there is. But the essence of heaven is to be in the very presence of Jesus. And so Jesus as the way and the truth and the life gives us access to live in his immediate presence not only one day when there will be no unholy turmoil, but this day when there is unholy turmoil. And that is the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is because God, through the atoning work of Jesus, lives in us and with us as the Trinity, through the constant presence of the Holy Spirit now, we can live in Christ's presence now. And guess what I know about his presence? You know what's not in his presence? Unholy turmoil. So why should my heart not be troubled? Because Christ is with me now. He is in me and I am in him. And so I want to bring all of this to kind of a razor's edge by going back to our question. Why should your heart not be troubled? It's a valid question. We've all been in that spot where we've looked around at our own lives or at the world and said, I can't find any reason to not be troubled in heart right now. There's so much that is not of Christ that is in our forefront, in our world, in our hearts. The only rational response to someone who does not believe in him when they ask the question, why should my heart not be troubled is simply, it should be your heart should be overwhelmingly troubled if you're not in Christ, if you do not believe in him. Because this is chaos. Everything that's happening around us is unholy turmoil. You watch the news, we see it in our own lives where we feel evil overcoming good, but the reality is it's not because we're in Christ. And so why should your heart not be troubled? 
because Jesus as the way and the truth and the life has gone to the Father to prepare a place for you. And he sent God the Spirit to be with you and in you. And he has prepared himself as your place in God, the Trinity. Why should your heart not be troubled? Because you are living today through faith in Christ in the very essence of heaven now, which is the immediate presence of Jesus. And so as you align your thoughts, your beliefs, your choices, and your life around his immediate presence here and now, the unholy turmoil of your heart will scatter. It will be gone. Not that your circumstances won't be unholy, but you will not be in turmoil in them. Not that life somehow all of a sudden gets easy, but when it's hard, you will not be in turmoil. Not that somehow you'll never have to suffer. On the contrary, you'll probably suffer more, but you will do it in a place that is not turmoil. And it comes back to that simple truth of aligning my beliefs, my thoughts, my choices, and my life around the reality that the very presence of Christ is immediate to me now. And by that, I can answer the question, why should your heart not be troubled? Because he's here. And whatever comes, he's here. And see, that resolves, should resolve, any unholy turmoil that we feel in the present moment. The resolution to the unholy turmoil in our present lives is the immediate presence of Christ. But now I want to resolve unholy turmoil in the future. So we go back to John 14.3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am you may be also. Jesus, the way and the truth and the life has resolved our present unholy turmoil by giving us access to his immediate presence here and now, but he will resolve all of our unholy turmoil permanently by coming again and bringing us to himself. And he is our place in God. So why should my heart not be troubled? Because we've been brought into God and he has made his dwelling place in us through Jesus, the way and the truth and the life. Now you might be saying, but I don't feel that. I don't sense that. I still have unholy turmoil that doesn't seem to be resolving itself. How can you tell me that the immediate presence of Christ is resolving my unholy turmoil in the moment when I still feel unholy turmoil? Can I just toss this out to you, that maybe, maybe getting stuck in the chaos of unholy turmoil isn't because you don't have enough faith. Maybe it's not because you don't believe strongly enough. Maybe it's not because you aren't doing the things that you were told all your life in church to do. Maybe it simply comes down to one thing. We're not aware. We don't live lives of awareness of God's presence. We tend to get distracted and our vision gets foggy, and all these things that are in the immediate of this world jump into our present consciousness, 
and distract us from the deepest truth, the deepest reality that I am, through faith in Christ, living in the immediate presence of Christ now. And so what's the resolution to that? It's awareness. What if we became a people who shifted our awareness to the th- from the things of this world to the reality of God's presence? What if we didn't let all these glittering vices grab us and suck our attention in the wrong direction? What if we became people who said, my practice in life is going to be to focus my heart and my mind on Christ Jesus, who is here now and seated at the right hand of God? Do you see how awareness can change our lives from being stuck in a place of unholy turmoil here and make it the kind of life where we live in the immediate presence of Jesus here and now so that we can do what he did in the middle of the storm and rest. So that we can say, Lord, I know you are here even in this diagnosis, even in this death, even in this job loss, even in this broken relationship, even in this addiction, I know you are here with me. So this thing may be in my life, but it's not going to steer me into unholy turmoil because you have gone to prepare a place for me where this will not exist. This source of unholy turmoil will be gone forever, but I want to live it now. I want to live in it today. And so what I will do when this unholy turmoil jumps into my face, into my present awareness, I will look above it. I will peek over it and I will remind myself that because you have gone to the Father to prepare a place for me, I am in you right now. You are present with me right now. Your spirit is dwelling in me right now. And I will look past this unholy turmoil. I think awareness gives us hope. Because listen to me, every single one of us has the power to change what we look at. And if you don't believe it, think about the last time you went by a car wreck or you, uh, it happened to me yesterday watching football. There was a football player from Florida State suffered a grotesque leg injury. And as they're showing the replay, what did I do? I looked away. I didn't want to see it. We have the ability to look away from the things that draw us into unholy turmoil. The question is, will you? And then the second question is, what will you look to when you look away? See, all of this, Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is an invitation to be aware of who he is here now instead of focusing on the things that come at us that try to draw us back into this world, that try to convince us you have no place in him. If you had a place in him, why are you suffering this? If you knew him, why is your life this way? Why is this hardship here? Why is this turmoil here? And the reality is we are made in Christ to look above the turmoil to the place where he is seated at the right hand of God. And we have the power to do it. It all comes back to awareness. 
it all comes back to what am I allowing myself to be aware of in any given moment? I think we can resolve most of the turmoil in our lives simply by becoming people who are fully aware of the immediate presence of Christ in our day to day. By becoming people who will look past the things that jump in our face that say, I need to be attended to. The things that bring chaos. And we say, no, I'm going to look beyond that. I'm going to focus my attention intentionally on the very presence of Christ. I'm going to let my mind be aware of the very presence of Christ in all circumstances. Isn't that what Paul said? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. There's nothing in this world that can separate us from him. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we're focused on that reality when we feel separated. See, what I'd love is for us to become a people who go, wait a minute, here's what I know. What I know is that when I feel like you are not here, you are still here. And I'm going to shift my focus from all the things that are trying to convince me you're not here and stand on the one thing that I know to be true in all situations, that you are the way and the truth and the life. And because of that, you are immediately in my presence right now. And so the presence of God becomes a practice, not a concept. It becomes something we engage in and say, I'm going to do this so that I can live in awareness of God's presence in all things instead of making it a statement of faith that I can just regurgitate any time. And sometimes it's effective, sometimes it's not. And so it becomes a practice and it becomes a practice first and foremost when our hearts are not troubled. Because if we practice it when we're not in unholy turmoil, we will become the kind of people who can practice God's presence as a reflexive response when the whole unholy turmoil does come. Listen, the moment of unholy turmoil is too late to practice the presence of God if you haven't been practicing it in the peace. It's a training exercise. And here's what I mean by that. Practicing the presence of God is simply shifting our awareness intentionally from the things that make me feel like I'm in turmoil to the very presence of Jesus in every moment of my life. It's an intentional shifting of focus. And so that's our practice this week. I want to invite you this week to go out and practice the presence of God, which really is nothing more than orienting our thoughts and our awareness around God's presence in every circumstance of our life. And I know if you're like me, the first time I heard somebody say that, I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I don't have a clue what that looks like. What do I do? Well, I'm going to help you right now. It starts with a simple prayer that becomes a pattern in my life, that becomes an ongoing prayer. And so in the moments of your life, when nothing's going on, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. And when you have an awareness of God, you pray this prayer. When you find joy in Christ, you pray this prayer. When, when you see blessings flowing out of you to others, you pray this prayer. 
And as you do that as a practice in your daily life, what you're gonna find is when the unholy turmoil comes at you and your old response was to focus on it, you're the kind of person who can look above it. See, prayer is transformative. We all talk about wanting to grow in Christ. The number one means by which we grow in Christ is prayer. And so here's the prayer I want to leave you with to practice this week. But hear me, practice it as a pattern of your life before you try to use it as an escape mechanism from unholy turmoil. And it's simply this, God, you are here. Simple prayer. God, you are here. In this moment, right here and now, God is here. When we sing, God is here. When we read our Bible, God is here. When the doctor calls and says, hey, this isn't good, God is here. When your spouse says, I'm done, God is here. When you lose your job, God is here. But we won't live in the reality of God present in our unholy turmoil till we acknowledge his presence in the good stuff, in the easy stuff in the simple and mundane stuff, driving your car to work, God, you are here. Going to a hockey game, God, you are here. I've seen some of you at hockey games. You may not feel like he's there when you're there, but he is there. The things you enjoy in life, going to class, going to, to, to practice for your sporting events, God, you are here. And then what happens is this. We become the kind of people who no matter what unholy turmoil comes at us, we see above it. And we're standing in the immediate presence of Christ here today. That will not only lead your heart to a place of not being troubled, but will also give others around you a vision of what it looks like to live with a heart that's not troubled. Let me pray. Father, God, we know you are here. And Father, I pray that you press that so deeply into our souls that in every moment, what we see is your presence. We acknowledge it, we desire it, we become hungry for it. And your presence will always lead us to a place where we can calm down in the face of unholy turmoil. But it'll be a, invitation with kindness and love. The same way it was from Jesus to the apostles in that night when there was so much unholy turmoil. God, impress upon our hearts as a people at this church that this week we will focus our minds on the reality, on the fact that you are here. That everywhere we go, you are there because you are in us and we are in you. And Lord, we can ask for that and stand on faith that you will bring that because Jesus, your son, has gone to prepare a place for us and he is that place. But by your spirit, we're in that place now. So Father, make us a people who can stand in every circumstance and say, God, you are here. And that's our prayer right now as we sing this song. Amen.